we are with another episode of the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey, and unfortunately, he's not able to be with us this week and next week. But don't worry, he will be back in a couple of weeks with our next interview. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we also recognize that any time Reformation has happened in the history of the church, it's always been messy. So we're taking time to have conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to talk about what's happening in our denomination, but also about what Reformation might look like. We also want to have take the opportunity to say thanks to all of you who've been faithfully listening to this podcast every week. And we want to say thanks for all of the positive feedback you've been giving us. We're having a ton of fun doing this, and it's also fun to know that people are enjoying what we're doing. So we just want to encourage you to keep listening and keep sharing this with other people who would benefit from these conversations. Now we're going to get to this week's episode where we interview Brian so brian take a moment give us a little update on uh where you're at right now and uh yeah what your role is in the crc well thanks for having me glad uh glad to come so my name as you as i mentioned my name is brian dunn i'm uh the lead pastor at first christian reformed church of edmonton uh been in the CRC for approximately 10 years or so, and I've kind of been all over the place. Um, I started in Michigan. I'm a homegrown American Michigan boy, actually, and made my way kind of across the country like a crazy person, probably. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I started in Jackson, Michigan, at a little church there, the only CRC in Jackson. Kevin, I... Uh, Transferred into the, the Reformed Church and interned there, uh, worked under the, the pastor and leadership there at, uh, at, uh, Cascades Fellowship CRC. Um, that was great. It was a great introduction to the Reformed faith. Um, having not really had much of a, uh, a history in it prior to then. And, um, it really gave me the opportunity to, especially as I started seminary to, to kind of practice the, the, the trade, if you will, and, uh, preach a bit, lead, uh, and, and various other things. Eventually ended up, uh, being an elder there for a little bit. And about halfway through my seminary career, I took a, a position as the associate pastor or pastor of congregational life at a, uh, church in Rocky Mountain House, Alberta. Uh, we just kind of decided to consolidate some things, seeing how we were going to be in ministry full time, uh, Anyways, and, uh, headed, headed down to, uh, or headed over, I should say, to, uh, Rocky Mountain House in, in Alberta. I was there for three years, the associate pastor. And after I finished seminary, took the call at, uh, first year C here in Edmonton. And that is where I've been ever since for about, uh, uh, uh just a little over three years. Then. Yeah. Awesome. Now you said you didn't grow up in the CRC. So what kind of brought you into the CRC? Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in the, well, I, I should say I, I didn't, I didn't even really grow up as a Christian. Um, I, I certainly I think as, in my teen years and such, I, I would, uh, I probably would have 
said I was a Christian, but I certainly didn't live like it, didn't know what that really even meant. And uh, we, we stopped attending church uh, as a teenager when I was quite young, I, I think 11, 10, 11, something like that. We stopped attending and mm-hmm. we were Lutheran at that point. And, uh, so I spent kind of my formative years just rebelling from the church running and trying to, trying to sort of live that life. It wasn't until I got married or was preparing to get married that I came back into the church. My wife, my father-in-law or my wife to be kind of led me in that direction. And we actually became a part of the Methodist church, the United Methodist okay. church. My, my father-in-law is a United Methodist pastor. And, uh, I was, I was very intrigued by the Methodist church so much so that I was, uh, I was actually candidating in the Methodist church, um, after, you know, several years of, uh, of going to, you know, a few different Methodist churches in the town that we lived after I was getting my undergraduate degree and such. And finally, just kind of through some, a little bit of personal crisis, um, I always say my personal crisis in my life drove me to the scriptures. Like it was the only thing that I, you know, as kind of my life was falling apart a bit. Um, it was the only steady thing in my, my life for me. And so I, I was driven to the scriptures and with, you know, just reading some things that maybe hit me differently. Maybe I had not really. I, I don't know. I can't fully explain it. Some, certainly some influences that I was reading and listening to as well at the time. Just through personal study and reflection, I came to a reformed understanding of the scriptures. And, uh, it wasn't long after that, that I left the Methodist church, um, to, to become part of the um, CRC. It was actually, the seminary that uh, that directed me to the CRC. I always say I, I was reformed before I was CRC because hmm. I, you know, I had this reformed understanding before before I really even knew what to do with it. Yeah, and I wanted to to do my master's degree at that point. I kind of had felt that long tug into ministry, and uh, the seminary directed me to the the CRC to consider the CRC. There was one CRC church in the town that we were living at the time. And that was Cascades Fellowship. And so that's where we ended up. And it was, it was a good fit. And, uh, I, especially for the time being. And, um, yeah, I, I guess that's, that's yeah. Now was there, story. um, I've, I've, I always kind of find it interesting. I've talked to a number of people, um, over the years who, who didn't grow up in the Reformed faith, became Reformed, and then uh, joined the CRC. And a number of them, as they've come into the CRC, have been surprised that uh, one guy in particular I know uh, grew up in a charismatic church, mm. was uh, reading the Bible, became Reformed, actually was teaching the Heidelberg Catechism in Burkhoff's theology in the charismatic church. And then uh, it kind of blew up. And then he found out that there was a CRC church in town and he was really excited about it. He's like, Oh, I get to go to a church that loves Burkhoff and the catechism. And then he joined the church and he's like, wait, nobody cares about this stuff. Did, did you have any kind of an experience like that or not? Um, I, it's interesting. The Methodist church 
I mean, it has such a, it, for for the brush that it kind of gets painted with, right? It's typically, the United Methodist Church is is painted as a fairly liberal denomination, yeah. and you know maybe taking in a lot of the seeker sort of sensitivities, things yeah. of that sort. And I, I, you know, that that certainly may be true. Uh, a lot of the churches, pretty much all the churches that I attend attended, they had a pretty strong liturgy hmm. uh, and things of that sort. So I'm. I was pretty comfortable with the idea of liturgy. We we dabbled in a non-denominational church kind of as well as we were sort of teetering in between the the Methodist church and the well I, I don't know I have to think when when about that was at what point in my life it, it, it's not really that important but but we dabbled in that a little bit and that was that was non-liturgical at all and. It's funny. I would, I would, would have thought that my wife would have hated the sort of liturgical, sort of structured set of worship, and she always hated the non-structured, the non-denominational structure when we when we dabbled in that. But yeah, um, so liturgy and and things of that sort was was not a huge shock to me. You know, you get a lot of that in the Methodist church. And that translated fairly well. But I think the I came when I came over to Cascades, one thing that they valued there at Cascades um, was the I mean they, they seem to value the confessions. Oh good. And and and, and the scriptures. And I, I think I think when I first came over, at at that point I didn't even have a love or really even too much of an interest in the confessions at that point. Um, I knew they were there. I, I don't know if I had even read them in their entirety at that point. Yep. But, uh, but so, so I guess that part wasn't a massive shock. Um, it, it was, it was good to come from, from that setting and come into a setting where Whereas a lot of these things were valued and nurtured and there. So I guess it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't as much of a shock for me as maybe sure. as it was for some others. And I, I, I think that probably speaks to the broad swath that we find ourselves in, in the denomination as well, because you get a lot of churches, probably like yours, Jason, that really values the, the theology and the catechism and, and things of that sort. And then you get some that, don't <laughs> yeah you know, yeah so. and i've kind of been in in uh, multiple different situations there but I, i've told people it was kind of funny um i didn't grow up in the crc either i i became a member of the crc when i was about 15 uh maybe right right before i right around 16 somewhere in there yeah and uh um and i you know i graduated uh so i went to youth group in the crc and i graduated high school a functioning Arminian, really. I mean, you know, not understanding Reformed <laughs> theology at all, or not really understanding our catechism. I had never really even looked at it. I had to memorize Lord's Day One yeah. um, for the membership class, but um, it wasn't until we. So my wife is Catholic or grew up Catholic, and so that was some tension in our marriage. Eventually, she became Reformed. <laughs> And so when we went to baptize our kid after we became a member of our church, we had to wrestle through what baptism meant and talk to her family and her family 
wasn't real excited about us baptizing our child, you know, outside of the Catholic church. And I was like, I think we have something that helps us understand what we believe about baptism called the catechism. I should probably read that. <laughs> and, uh, and so I remember us both like sitting down and reading this document explaining what we believe about baptism. And I remember thinking, this is really good. How come this is so helpful? No. How come nobody told me this stuff? How come I wasn't taught this before? And uh kind of was my kick in the pants to, um, at the time I was a youth pastor. And so I was like, I need to start teaching kids about this. And so, yeah, we started uh, doing a lot more with that. And so, yeah, our, you know, I grew up in a church. They, they didn't dislike the catechism. I wouldn't say that, but, but it was just, I think, I think a lot of people grow up with it. They kind of maybe felt like the catechism was shoved down their throat right. a little bit. And so when they get older, they're like, we're not going to shove this down people's throat. We're just going to kind of leave it off to the side. We think it's important, but we don't want to emphasize it at all. That seems to be the, I mean, that it seems to be the connection that, that you're the, the big piece that you see from a lot of, a lot of people, right? I mean, it's the pendulum. Mm-hmm. You people, people at one point in their lives, they had these things shoved down their their throat, and therefore they they decide not to shove it down other people's throat or even. But but they they, they overcorrect, right? And, yeah. and they they just completely neglect it. And then you know, I I wonder where we are at as it sort of swings back at this point. You know, sometimes you know like. Are we overcorrecting? Like I'm, I'm, I'm writing a discipleship curriculum right now with the Belgic Confession, trying to, trying to sort of use that as an impetus for, for discussion and that within discipleship groups and, and that. And, and, uh, I, you know, I've wrestled with that question myself. And am I, am I emphasizing this too much? But then I feel like the Belgic has been neglected even, even when the Heidelberg was at its height. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've just coming into the denomination. I've, I've from the conversations and discussions, I've always thought that the Belgic was often neglected, even beyond that. So I don't know. Where's this pendulum? Is something I often wrestle with. Yeah, and there's always that temptation. I know I've, I have that same temptation too, and I get frustrated, and I feel like we're downplaying doctrine and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I want to just hammer it, you know, and. Um, <laughs> And yet, you know, for me, I've been I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and uh, I think it's not even necessarily a pendulum thing. I always go back to motivation. Um, why, you know, why why are we teaching this? And and part of me, because my dad, I, I think I've told this story before, but my dad grew up in the CRC. So my, even though I didn't grow up in the CRC, my roots go back. You know, my ancestors came on a boat from the Netherlands and started, <laughs> yeah. they actually started Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota, where my friend is from. And so they helped start the town and the church and the Christian school and everything. And so my dad, you know, hardcore grew up CRC, but when he graduated, he left um, mm. because he was like, this is, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And this is all just <laughs> dry, you know, just boring they shoved the catechism down my throat and so some of that was his reaction to that um and i think back like the the fact that they wanted to teach the catechism wasn't the problem that was a good thing 
but I think a lot of them were teaching it because they just had to, not because they actually saw any benefit in it, right? They didn't know why it was helpful. They didn't love it. They just, this is what good Christians do. We teach the catechism. And when we teach that way, it's boring and it, and it yeah. steals life out of it, right? Even if we teach scripture that way, if, if, if you're, if you're reading the Bible every morning, just because this is what a good Christian does, most likely, I mean, God's word is powerful enough to hit you over the head anyways, but, yeah, yeah. but most likely your devotions are kind of dry and dusty and boring. And yet if you're coming to God's word because you love it and you know that God has something to say to you, then there's life there. And I think that speaks, it spills over into really any of our teaching. We, if we teach the catechism and we teach the confessions and if we teach scripture because we love it, it seems like there's a, a natural response from other people to start loving it as well. That's right. That's right. And there's a, I mean, it sort of asks the question, you know, we love this stuff. Why do we love it? And um, what, what is the connecting the dots, right? What is the practical sort of like, there is a practical application for these sorts of things of why we believe what we believe. This is a, there's a real world implication for this dense theological stuff. <laughs> yeah. And we can find those connections, I think, if we're passionate about it. Yeah, we help people see, you know, one of the things I've talked about a lot recently is understanding that Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. Yeah. Like a lot of people think, well, that's just some big theological thing. There's no right. practical implication for that. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, are you trying to prove yourself to people around you to try to measure up, to try to make yourself good enough? Guess what? Christ's righteousness has been imputed to you. You don't have to do that. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> Pressure's off, man. Pressure's off. Yeah. And so, yeah, these big doctrines, um, sometimes, too, you can just be so heady that you just love the doctrine and not how it changes how we live, too. And so trying to help bring them down and help people understand right. Um, how they apply to their lives is good. Exactly. exactly. So as you've been kind of looking in at the CRC over the years, uh, what do you think are some of the strengths of the CRC? So it's, yeah, I, it's, um, I've, I've now found myself in two classes, uh, throughout my history of the CRC, which is just a, it would be just a little over 10 years. And one thing that I, I have noticed is there is, a bit of a drive to, uh, at least within some classes. And I think it, it, there's, there's a, a, a broad aspect to it, uh, for, for church planting. Yeah. Right? Um, and I think that that is incredibly important, right? The, the greatest way that we make, uh, connections with, uh, or, or, or rather, well, connections with, with unbelievers is through church planting. Um, and we have a lot of, um, obviously, I mean, my church is uh, 110 years old and, uh, we certainly can make some strides in the neighborhoods and that, but the, the, I mean, statistically it's proven the most effective way to reach unbelievers is through church planting. And so I think that that's a, a, a wonderful thing, uh, you know, in our, in my current classes here in classes Alberta North, we've actually done a number of things to actually set aside funding to promote and encourage church planting. Um, 
a mutual friend of ours has benefited from that greatly, Ryan, Ryan Petey at yeah. Bridge Church. He's just doing amazing things right here in, in my neck of the woods. Um, so he, he kind of becomes a big, big example of that to me. Yeah. Uh, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for some of the stuff that we do as a denomination, right? We're, we're called as a body of believers to covenant together, right? I mean, that's yeah. the whole point of, of, of being a denomination. Um, so that means we, we are called to do good works within the world. And so I, I am, I mean, you can, can, I know some people will complain about world news size and, and things of that sort and, and the denomination size, and, you know, it feels top heavy at time from time to time, but there are good things through like world renew and, and, um, home missions. Well, it's not, it's not resonate now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, that they're, they're doing, doing some good things through, through those sorts of organizations to, to, to just love our neighbors and um and that's that's a good thing i'm i'm pretty pretty pleased pretty proud of that yeah yeah i would agree and i've i've noticed this uh this church planting desire in uh both classes that i've been involved in too i was involved in classes lake superior um prior to coming to classes wisconsin and i know both classes have a pretty significant church planting yeah. fund um, the struggle with both classes has been um, either finding church planters yeah, yeah. or um, knowing where to plant a church. And so I know Classes Wisconsin has, over the years, tried a number of them, and they just haven't been able to get traction. And so we've they've been trying to figure out what's going on with that and and uh, how to. We've got one that was really successful in Milwaukee that's been going okay. really strong, but. Um, I mean, that was 10 years ago, though, so nothing super new. You know, Ryan's church was just planted, what, a year ago? Yeah, they opened their doors, yeah, just a little over a year ago, yep, and they're booming. Yeah. They're doing great work. Ryan, I mean, you and Ryan's yeah. passionate, passionate, uh, gospel-centered, wonderful guy, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it doesn't surprise me that the Lord's using him in amazing yeah. ways. Yeah, Ryan's on my list to interview eventually too because he's got that charismatic background oh, yeah. coming in too, and he's oh, yeah. got a good uh, a good outside perspective too on the CRC. I really appreciate yeah. The, yeah. what he has to say. So yeah, that church planting uh, heart is there, um, and I remember thinking, um, did you have did you take missional ministry with Goheen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, remember, think I think we did. I think that was my first time I, I met you was in his class. And he made a statement in that class that I have never forgotten, that he, he said, if the CRC would actually grab hold of our theological roots, mm-hmm. read Bavink and the, and the Belgic and the Heidelberg Catechism, we would be more missional. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I remember thinking, whoa. He's right, because it's just a natural part of our theology, this kind of working out and kind of that Kyperian instinct of, of changing culture a little bit. And that happens as we plant churches, too. I mean, and I think in our current culture, too, I think this church planting is successful because I most people are not most people that I know of are not looking for a mega church right now. Yeah, so. Uh, most people don't want to be in a church that is massive and that, you know, they don't really know everyone in there. Um, it's actually, we're seeing people wanting to be part of smaller congregations. And so 
that means we need to keep planting them. And, uh, yeah. 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 There, there's, I've, you know, I've read a lot of things that, that have actually talked about how maybe all this stuff with COVID has sort of helped to see the end of the mega church. And, you know, I guess it's, that's obviously seeing how we're still in the middle of it. That still remains to be seen, but, uh, it's an interesting thought. Um, especially when we're not able to connect with people anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, smaller, smaller groups is sort of the name of the game in order to connect with people now. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Time will tell, I guess. Yeah. Our church, what, one of the things I've been encouraging us to do is kind of revitalize our small group ministry as a way to keep community going. And so it's starting to happen. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's hard still in the middle of COVID. I mean, right now we're under a, it's not a stay at home order. Our governor, it was like a stay at home recommendation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so he's like, please try not to get together too much, basically. And so you don't want to encourage too much, but, but we also, we've been built for community. And so trying to be smart and, and still get together. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So what are, so we've got some of these strengths of the CRC. What are, what are some of the things that are happening that uh, are concerning to you in our denomination? Yeah, I mean, everybody has their pitfalls, right? And uh, without a doubt, we do as as well. Um, I think some of the obvious things have to be the the uh, um, grab gravitation towards a liberalization of our um, uh, views on sexuality um, and things of that sort. Um, I think, though, that that goes hand in hand with a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, right? Yep. The, the abandonment of the theological ground that we're we're in, uh, and ultimately an abandonment of the word, right? And yeah. it's not as if we've ever moved away from the word; we've just moved away from our our sort of uh, um, deep, uh, deep understanding of it our 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 high view of it and i just feel like we've 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 gravitated um to viewing scripture as a as as man's best interpretation of god mm. rather than than god's uh god's word to us um you know and um yeah, I mean, if we if we really adhere to our confessions, our creeds, and, and such, that's just it would just be un, unheard of for us to do that. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our interview with Brian Dunn. Until then, don't forget that this is Christ's church, and He bought it with His blood, and He warned us that wolves would come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.